You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC 252 event, which takes place at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC 252 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on Fight Pass is a featherweight fight featuring Kai Kamaka, who is 7-2, and two, and Tony Kelly, who is 5-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? couple quick notes here before we get rolling. The opening betting odds that I will be quoting are from MMAoddsbreaker.com, our opening odds article for UFC 252, so make sure you check those out. And the updated odds are going to be courtesy of Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. That's where the most recent odds I will be quoting for every fight will come from. Also, make sure you guys head over to UFC Fight Pass this Friday for the live UFC On The Line show. We are shooting at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time for our fight breakdowns for UFC 252. We'll give out our bets and, and just basically break down the whole um, card from top to bottom and you know give our analysis on what bets we like for the card. So it's an awesome show. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you tune in this Friday live, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, definitely worth a look. Getting into the first fight, it was just recently announced, though not a lot of lines available out there, but the market opener was minus 185, um, the comeback around plus 155, and right now we're seeing current market price of Kamaka minus 230, Kelly comeback around plus 195. So again, Kamaka opened around minus 180 as a favorite, and now he's up to minus 230. So early action coming in Kamaka's way. Man, this should be an awesome fight. I mean, this is was thrown together last minute. Obviously, as a featherweight fight, they wanted another fight on this card. Uh, so they got two willing, uh, you know, incapable fighters and deserving fighters to be on this roster with Kelly and Kamaka. Kamaka just fought not too long ago in LFA. I, I actually cashed in uh, some money, uh, took him as a dog in that fight that he had recently, and he won. He looked good doing so. Um, so I'm glad he's getting his opportunity Again, making his UFC debut here at 252. Kelly, another guy that's kind of been out of the spotlight the last few years, but I mean, at least steady. But man, I'll tell you what, this guy's a talented fighter. If you look back at his legacy fight with Kevin Aguilar, it's on available on YouTube. You're going to see just a fantastic fight. And you're going to really see what Kelly's made of against a very talented guy, obviously, and Kevin Aguilar as well. So... Both of these guys bring a lot to the table here. Again, both these guys deserving of the roster spot. Both these guys can stand and bang. Both these guys can mix it up on the ground as well. I think from what I see, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Tony Kelly because, I, I'd, again, Kamaka just won me money not too long ago, so I understand what kind of talent this guy is. He's got good hands. He's got effective punching. He's got knockout power in his hands. He's got good wrestling. He mixes everything up well. The problem being for him in this matchup, I think Kelly has decent takedown defense and better striking. So I think Kelly's movement's going to present some problems for Kamaka. I think he's going to be able to land 
throughout the fight a little bit cleaner, a little bit stronger, a little bit better. Um, and again, I think he's got the takedown defense and the capabilities to keep this thing upright. So I think the ground ends up becoming pretty much a wash. I think both these guys are capable of getting top position or, you know, getting on a scramble on the ground or trying to, obviously they're going to try to utilize the ground game at some point, but I think they could fend each other off. And again, more of a striking battle. I, I kind of see playing out here with Kelly having the advantage. My only concern for Kelly is again, he's been a little bit more inconsistent. He hasn't been fighting, you know, as steady as we'd like him to the last few years. So that's kind of a question mark. So you can't have a lot of confidence in him. We don't know exactly what his conditioning is like right now, what state you know he's in as far as making a return to MMA and fighting at this kind of level. So you got to always think about that kind of stuff as well and approach this fight with caution. But that being said, I do like Kelly to get the win over Kamaka here. I just simply think he's the better fighter at this point. So my pick is Tony Kelly to beat Kamaka, maybe by decision, possibly by finish. These guys are going to be throwing some serious leather. It's going to be a fun fight. But my pick is Kelly to win. And I understand the Kelly pick. I mean, the guy is really talented. And even in his lone career loss, um, he was taking on Kevin Aguilar in Legacy and lost a split decision. So, I mean, even when he loses, it was close. Um, my main issue, though, is that Kelly just has not been active. Because uh, that loss was just two fights ago. And it was... Uh, at Legacy FC 57, which was in 2016. So since 2016, over four years ago, he's fought one time. Um, and that was against uh, Andy Brossett, a guy that was two and five that he was able to get a first round guillotine choke against. So he's had, he's one and oh in the last four years taking on somebody that had no business fighting him. Um, you know, that's my main issue. I mean, the guy just has not been active in fighting. He's had a couple canceled fights, including against uh, uh, Julian Arosa most recently in uh, March. But still, uh, while I do think that Tony Kelly is talented, uh, he is making his UFC debut at 33 years old, uh, having fought one time in the past four years. Um, I mean, he has not faced uh, a real UFC caliber opponent in four years. And the one time he did, while it was close, he did lose. So uh, that's my main issue. I mean, Kamaka, he's been active. I mean, he just fought two weeks ago. So uh, he clearly has been active. Uh, but before that, you know, he fought in Bellator, uh, where he went 2-0. and He uh, went 2-0 and in King of the Cage. Um, and every time he's faced people that were half decent, uh, including most recently the, the unanimous decision win that he had against Stack, who was undefeated at the time. So... Uh, while I do think that Kelly is a little bit more technically sound, I think uh, Kamaka pushes a good pace. I think that he could potentially wear Kelly down. I I don't think Kelly can finish Kamaka, and I think uh, I think Kamaka can just kind of outwork Kelly over the course of three rounds. I wouldn't be shocked to see Kelly start strong, but unless he's able to get a first round finish, I think Kamaka wins a decision here. Uh, you know, that's kind of been his MO. Uh, he's on five straight decision, unanimous decision victories in a row. So, uh, I like, uh, Kamaka. Now moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Chris Daukhaus, who is eight and three, taking on Parker Porter, who is ten and five. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? 
Porter open minus 165, Dacus plus 125. And right now what we're seeing over at Circa Sports is Porter minus 120, even money for Dacus. So line has tightened up a little bit, more action coming in Dacus's way. I understand it, man. I mean, again, th- this is a battle of two heavyweights making their UFC debut. Both of these guys have been around a little while. They've been kind of scratching at the door trying to get in here. I think both these guys are finding their groove finally. I think Dox's record is a little bit more impressive overall to me. But if you look at Porter, I think he's kind of coming into his own. He's catching um, some momentum. He's kind of getting more confident. He's fighting better fight by fight. So I like what I see with Porter. Both these guys like to stand and bang. Both these guys have power on the feet. They can mix it up well. Um, I think Dawkins is a little bit more well-rounded. I mean, he likes, again, he's kind of more known for his striking, his clinch work and all that stuff, but he does go for the takedowns when he needs to. Uh, Porter, not a fish out of water um, as far as the ground go, game goes either, but primarily he does like to stand and bang as well. He will go for some takedowns, and once he gets you to the floor, he does have some pretty good ground and pound, um, has some submission skills as well. So both these guys are fairly evenly matched. Um, the pick type of line I think is is pretty fair. Um, my concern with Dawkins is he does tend to slow down. I think Porter has better conditioning, better cardio coming into this fight. So even if Dawkins is winning early on, I could see Porter maybe possibly hanging in there and taking over and swaying things as this fight progresses a little bit. But obviously it's a heavyweight fight. It might not last too long. With all that said, I'm going to lean slightly towards Dawkins here in this fight. I just think he's a little bit more talented overall. But again, as far as confidence level, you cannot be confident either way. I think this – should be around a pick-up type of price because these are not high-level heavyweights that are entering the UFC here. They're skilled, don't get me wrong, and you got to respect these guys, and maybe they can continue to climb and, and kind of get better and improve, but I think it's a pretty competitive fight from what I see uh, you know, on tape and on film going into this fight. So my pick is going to be Dawkins in what should be in a pretty interesting heavyweight battle. Yeah, and we've already seen a Dawkins in the UFC recently. Uh, Chris's brother, I believe Kyle, fought – uh, Brandon Allen just recently and lost a decision uh, at middleweight. Now, uh, Chris is a heavyweight. He comes in. He's 30 years old. Parker Porter, I think we what we see is what we get with him. He's 35 making his UFC debut. Now, granted, heavyweights can stick around a little bit longer later into their careers because they don't rely quite as much on speed and reactions. So uh, I'm not saying that Porter, you know, is just going to wash right out. But uh, I don't really see him making any clear jumps in skill at this point. Um, while Dowkos, I think, still does have some potential uh, at 30. Um, you know, Dowkos, I think, mixes it up a little bit better on the feet. Uh, even though I think Porter would prefer the fight stay standing more than Dowkos, uh, I think uh, Dowkos is actually the slightly better striker, more diverse striker. I mean, this guy can knock you out with his hands, with his feet. Uh, he's coming off of a, a pretty impressive uh, head kick knockout uh, back in, uh, you know, a year ago, but still, um, and, uh, he, and Dowkos has won, um, six or seven of his last eight fights, I believe. So, uh, I, I mean, the guy clearly is on a nice little roll. Um, Porter, he's won four of his last five and you know, the, both of these guys are finishers as Nick mentioned. Um, but Porter can get those finishes a little bit later. You know, Dowkos is, uh, guy that looks more to, to get the finish early. Um, so my main concern is Dakos slowing down. You know, that could totally happen. If uh, this fight does not finish quickly, it would not shock me to see Porter maybe get like a third round knockout or something. But I think uh, that Dakos can get the finish in the first round. So 
Uh, I just think that he's the the bigger guy, the longer reach, uh, a little bit younger, a little bit better. So I'm going to go with Dalkos. But uh, if he does not take him out quickly, might be a live betting situation on Porter. So, uh, but Dalkos will be my pick. Now dropping all the way down to the strawweight division, we have Levina Souza, who is thirteen and two, taking on Ashley Yoder, who is seven and five. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Souza opened minus two fifty. The comeback on Yoder plus one ninety five, and right now what we're seeing is Souza minus one sixty seven. The comeback plus 147 at Circa Sports. So line did drop market wide from minus 250 down to about minus 167. There's minus 155s, minus 160s on the Don Best screen right now that I'm looking at as well. So Souza hanging in there is a slight favorite, but definitely some value on Yoder early on and causing the line to drop. And people, I, I totally understand why. This is going to be a competitive fight. I mean, I think Yoder is one of these fighters I've said it time and time again. That she's been underrated, I think, throughout her entire career. People don't give her enough respect. I mean, she's a pretty well-rounded fighter in her own right. Obviously, I think she excels more on the ground than she does standing, but her stand-up game is getting better. She's got some length for the division, and she's been in there with some really good competition. So she's capable of doing okay on the feet. In most cases, she's capable of doing really well on the ground, too. So she's, like I said, a pretty well-put-together fighter. And she's getting more experience, more confidence. She's hanging in there with some really solid fighters, even in losses. So she's not an easy out. But that said, Souza is the better fighter of the two, I believe, um, as far as almost every aspect of the game. Now, of course, she's going to have a little bit of a physical size issue here. I mean, she's going to be the smaller fighter, but she's going to be a little bit faster. I think she's going to hit a little bit harder. I think her, her striking is going to be a little bit more crisp and clean. I think she's a better submission artist overall on the ground. So I think both these ladies are going to be get, trying to get top position, obviously, um, and both of them are capable of doing so. So we should see some pretty fun scrambling um, battles kind of taking place back and forth throughout this fight, but I, th- I also think we're going to see Souza having um, some success on the feed again, um, a little bit more so along the way, and I think she edges out a very close competitive decision, so this should be a very good fight, should be fun, um, but again, I, I think it's still basically a dog or pass situation where the line is right now with Souza being minus 167. Um, I wouldn't lay that chalk because I think it, it has 29-28, maybe a split decision written all over it if it does hit the scorecards, but I still do give the edge and the slight favorite should be Souza in this spot. So my pick is Souza to win, probably by a close, close decision. And I completely agree. Um, Souza is the more technically sound fighter. Um, Yoder is going to have some size and uh, some physicality here where, uh, you know, she's going to have the, the height and reach on her. But uh, for the most part, I just think Souza is going to be the more technical striker, and she's definitely the more dangerous submission artist, although Yoder does come from a bit of a grappling background. Um, this should be pretty competitive, and I think people do underestimate Yoder because she is very well-rounded. She just doesn't quite have that edge that she needs to really take it to that next level. Um, we've seen some glimpses out of her, but uh, I think Souza is just definitely the more uh, well-rounded and technical fighter here. So um, where Souza has had a few issues when fighters got really physical with her and that has caused her to lose a, two of her fights, um, I just don't see Yoder having that physical edge. Um, I think if this goes to the ground, Souza should win the grappling exchanges. Um, I can see her potentially submitting Yoder, although I don't think that's going to be easy because Yoder does have a pretty good ground game. And 
uh, she has been able to survive on the ground against some pretty dangerous fighters like, you know, Mackenzie Dern. Um, so uh, I think this fight will be relatively competitive, but I see, uh, you know, because, I mean, you look, uh, Yoder's had close fights um, against Dern, against uh, Random Marcos most recently, you know, so she's not a cakewalk, but I think Souza is super talented, you know, former Invicta champion um, who has underperformed a little bit uh, most recently with that uh, Brianna Van Buren fight, but um, I think that she has the skill here to not just uh, make a good run in the UFC, but uh, potentially uh, become a you know a contender down the line if she uh, continues to add more to her game, considering uh, what the skills that she does possess. So I'm going to side with uh, Souza. I think she gets the job done, uh, probably by decision, but she might be able to tap Yoder out if she puts her in a perilous position on the ground. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have TJ Brown, who is 14 and 7, taking on Danny Chavez, who is 10 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Brown open minus 195, Chavez plus 155, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is TJ Brown minus 145, the comeback on Chavez at plus 125. So line margins have tightened up. The line head did drop. Uh, Chavez getting some respect at the betting window, which he should. I think he's a very talented fighter. Can't wait to see him officially make his UFC debut. I mean, this guy is definitely a stud in all areas of the game. I mean, I, I think he's pretty well-rounded. Um, I think he excels, obviously, on the feet. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got kind of that killer instinct to go along with it. But, again, he's no slouch on the ground as well. I mean, he can get some takedowns. He can grapple with you. He can submit you as well. But, again, make no mistake, Chavez is probably going to want to stay upright and try to do some damage on the feet against Brown in this fight because I think – Brown, another well-rounded fighter, man. I love watching this guy fight because he's always in exciting fights. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Every fight that he's in ends up, uh, you know, being kind of an instant classic because the pace that Brown sets, the way he goes about, um, you know, his fighting style. He just basically goes in there. He'll start off on the feet. He's not bad on the feet. He's he's kind of fluent. He mixes things up well, has a little bit of power. You have to respect him there. But it's his ground game. It's his grinding style. It's his grappling that's fun to watch, I think, more than anything else for me. So it's almost your classic throwback grappler versus striker battle here with Brown being your grappler and Chavez being your striker. But again, I mean, these guys are both more well-rounded and deserving of, of just that. They're not one-dimensional fighters for sure. But that's the path to victory for Brown is definitely getting Chavez tired, wearing him out a little bit, getting some takedowns, trying to submit Chavez. And for Chavez is, again, to kind of sprawl, brawl, keep this fight upright and just land that knockout punch or land some damaging shots against Brown. Brown has been hit. He's been obviously rocked in fights before he's been knocked out. So, again, Chavez's path to victory is to keep it upright and out strike Brown. Brown, get it to the floor and try to work your magic there. So, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Brown because I think his grappling and his grinding style can be a little bit more effective in this spot than Chavez. But again, at the betting window, it's kind of hard to lay it here because Chavez shows up here and is able to stuff a few takedowns. It gets really interesting. But I think Brown is the rightful favorite in this spot, so I will lean with him and I will pick him to win. So my pick is Brown and what should be a pretty entertaining fight. Yeah, this is a good one. Um I kind of view it as a striker versus grappler. Um, you got Brown, who has a solid ground game, has pulled off uh, several submissions in a row uh, throughout his career, or several submissions throughout his career, including 
uh, a big one on the contender series to come back and earn a UFC contract. Um, and he was looking pretty good in his UFC debut before uh, getting caught in a guillotine against Jordan Griffin in the second round, uh, late in the second round. Um, he has, uh, out of his 14 wins in his career, 13 have been uh, stoppages. So, you know, Brown is a finisher. Um, Chavez, on the other hand, he's more of a striker, and he has scored uh, three straight first-round knockouts to kind of earn himself uh, his ticket to the UFC, including one just a month ago. Um, I would say, uh, on the feet, you know, this is going to be mildly competitive, but I would definitely favor Chavez, but, uh, Brown is just really dangerous on the ground. Um, that's really where it's going to boil down to is can Chavez land that big shot before Brown gets him down? And, I think that that's the most likely outcome here is Brown getting the takedown and working over Chavez with his superior ground skills. So uh, nothing real crazy here. I mean, Chavez is going to have a puncher's chance because every fight starts on its feet, but I favor Brown to drag this to the floor and possibly get a first round submission. So uh, Brown is going to be my pick. Now, dropping back down to the women's strawweight division, we have Felice Herrig, who is 14 and 8, taking on Virna Jandaroba, who is 15 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Jandaroba opened minus 155, the comeback on Herrig at plus 125. This line has skyrocketed. Right now, over at Circo, we're seeing... Janaroba at minus 300, the comeback on Herrig at plus 255. So needless to say, nobody hesitated to lay that opening chalk price at minus 155. If you guys got under minus 200 early on, hats off to you. I think it was a great bargain, obviously, where the price is right now at minus 300. Probably is still a little bit of value. I like Herrig. I think, again, another underrated fighter throughout her career. She's getting better. I mean, she's been out for over a year, so that's kind of a little bit concerning. Uh, but you could see before she had her time off, she was starting to kind of catch her groove a little bit overall. And I could see her improvements, honestly, getting more confidence. And just overall, she's just a better fighter than she was early in her UFC career, um, especially as of late. Now, she's had her ups and downs. I get that. But still, I think Herrig, I mean, like I said, minus the time off, she's never been better at this point of her career. But Janaroba, on the other hand, is just stylistically a tough matchup for Herrig. I mean, Herrig has had some problems with ladies on the ground in the past that were able to take her down, control her, submit her. I think Janaroba is definitely, you know, suiting and fitting of that type of matchup scenario for Herrig in this spot. So that's why it's such a nasty matchup. I think Herrig, if she could keep this fight upright, she could probably do okay on the feed. I think Janaroba is going to have a little bit more speed, but Herrig is a better striker. Herrig, again, has some wrestling. She does have a ground game in her own right. I just think she's going to be outclassed here significantly on the ground by Janaroba. So I expect Janaroba to get this fight to the ground. I expect her to even possibly submit Herrig as this fight progresses a little bit and get the win here. So I agree with the early steam coming in um, and hitting that minus 155, hitting minus 200 all the way up to minus 300. I think it's probably the right side and it's probably the right winner. So I'm going to pick Janaroba to win more than likely, like I said, because of her ground game. Yeah, that's really what it's going to boil down to is, will Felice Herrig be able to keep this fight upright and land strikes um, before Janaroba can drag this to the floor? Now, Herrig does have an, a bit of an underrated ground game. That's something that she worked on a lot um, in her career, and, and she's actually become a pretty dangerous on the ground at times. But Janaroba is so nasty on the ground that I just... 
you know, whatever strides that Herrig has made, I just think Jaina Roba is still going to be better than her there. So for Herrig to win this fight, she's going to have to use defensive wrestling, keep it upright, and outstrike Jaina Roba. And while Herrig is not a bad striker, she actually does come from a striking background. Um, she doesn't really have that pop in her striking that I see her scoring big points on the feet and, you know, using distance properly and keeping Jandaroba at the end of a jab and just con- consistently foiling takedown attempts. I just don't see her being able to do that. Especially now at 35 years old, having not fought in two years and coming off of two losses in a row and uh having coming off of a torn ACL that has kept her out of action for two years. So, uh, I mean, I just think it's only a matter of time until Jandaroba drags this to the floor. And worst case, Jandaroba wins a decision, but I would not be shocked to see Herrig uh, submitted for the first time since uh, competing on The Ultimate Fighter when she, uh, when Random Marcos armbarred her. So uh, my pick is going to be uh, Jandaroba, and I think that she does uh, finish Felice Herrig here. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Jim Miller, who is 32 and 14, taking on Vince Pichel, who is 12 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Miller open minus 180, Pichel plus 140. And right now, what we're seeing over Circus Sports, minus 130 for Pichel, the comeback on Miller plus 110. If you guys were able to grab Pachelle up at my plus 140, again, hats off to you. Uh, good line grab there because obviously Pachelle should be the rightful favorite in this fight. I love Jim Miller, man. I mean, I think he's been one of the best lightweights in the history of the sport, really. Uh, again, another person that doesn't really get enough credit. I mean, he's had such a awesome career in the UFC, never claiming that UFC lightweight strap. But, I mean, especially early on in his career, I mean, he was one of the top lightweights in the world for a long time. His skill set's still dangerous, still gets it done at times. I mean, his submission game is so good to watch offensively. It's it's phenomenal, right? So he's been in there with the best of the best throughout his career. He's still pulling off upset wins. He's still capable of getting those submission wins. He's still capable of keeping the fight close in most cases as well. So you can never count Jim Miller out. But that being said, Pichel, I think in this spot in 2020, I think his his takedown defense, I think his submission defense is probably going to be savvy enough to not get submitted by Miller. And if that's not going to happen, then I think more than likely Pichel probably wins the striking exchanges overall on the feet. Um, I think it will be interesting, though. It'll go back and forth a little bit, but I think Pichel is the more dangerous striker. I think he is the better striker right now, and I think Pichel might be able to get a takedown or two along the way. He's got to be careful with Miller again on the ground, um, and he's got to be able to stuff those takedowns because Miller is going to definitely look for some takedowns here as well. So um, Pichel has to kind of use his wrestling in reverse sprawl, brawl, keep this fight upright or get top position on Miller. I think he'll be okay if he can do so. Um, but that being said, I think Pichel could win inside the distance here with the stoppage as the fight progresses, possibly against Miller. Miller's a tough guy, not easy to, to finish. I realize that, but again, it is 2020 and I think Pichel has a little bit of underrated power, but if not, I think Pichel could at least win a 29, 28 type of decision. So Pichel should be the rightful favorite. I'm going to pick him to win here. And honestly, at minus 130, there's probably is still a little bit of value on him as well. And I'm going to agree with you here, Nick. I think that Pichel is, while he has had 
uh, some issues with really good grapplers in the past. They've been very powerful and strong wrestlers. And Jim Miller, that's not really the best part of his game anymore. Um, Pichel, you know, he did get, you know, outworked and outgrappled by Gillespie and Habalov in his two, two of his last UFC losses. But, uh, those guys wrestling is just way ahead of Jim Miller at this point. Uh, Miller is much more dangerous with submissions, but, uh, is he going to be able to get, uh, Pichel on the ground, put him in a bad spot and tap him out in the first round? Because if he doesn't, I mean, I see Pichel pulling away. Um, I kind of view this fight very similar to Miller against Scott Holtzman. Uh, Holtzman has, you know, a very similar style to, uh, Pichel, uh, a guy that can push a hard pace, go, uh, all three rounds, no problem, good conditioning, pretty solid ground game and developing aggressive striking. Um, and with Jim Miller, if he does not submit you in the first round, he loses. That's been his MO, uh, for the past like five years now, um, uh, you, you go back in his last 10 fights, he's four and six with his four wins being first round submissions. And then his losses being a mixture of, uh, submissions, knockouts and decisions. So, uh, basically Pichel just has to play cautiously in that first round when Miller's going to be really aggressive. And as long as he does not allow this to go to the canvas, I think Pichel just weathers that early storm and then wins a decision outworks Miller as he starts to slow down. Uh, you know, Miller, as talented as he is, uh, you know, he's had a lot of wear and tear. And while I don't view Pichel as some world beater on the feet, I just think I see him just kind of taking over as this fight goes on. Uh, obviously, the huge concern is Miller getting a first round submission. So, uh, but if Miller starts strong and is not able to take out Pichel, um, I'm live bet Pichel like crazy because uh, I just do not see Miller winning a decision here. And, uh, I do see Pichel winning a decision, maybe even getting a late stoppage. So, uh, my pick is going to be Pichel, but again, always be careful about that first round submission from Miller. Now, moving on to the pay-per-view main card, we have a Bantamweight fight featuring John Dodson, who is 21 and 11, taking on Marib Devalishvili, who is 11 and 4. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Divalashvili opened minus 170, the comeback on Dodson at plus 145. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we have minus 252 Divalashvili, comeback plus 216 on Dodson. So from minus 170, Divalashvili, up to minus 252. So needless to say, the hype train is still in full force. No disrespect intended because I think Divashvili is just phenomenal. I mean, he is like a little mini Khabib for this weight class for crying out loud. The bantamweights have their hands full because this guy's just a machine, literally. I mean, I know that's – pardon the pun. That's his nickname or whatnot, but uh, one of his nicknames, the machine. But, man, this guy is just such a beast. He's so hard to keep off you. He's so hard to get space against. I mean, he's relentless. He's got the cardio conditioning in most cases to keep it up. I mean, he does tend to slow down a little bit at times, though. I know a lot of people think he's a cardio machine, but you do see him start to, to wear down as the fight progresses a little bit. I mean, going for the amounts of takedowns that he does, I mean, time after time, I believe he averages at least eight 
um, per 15 minutes or something like that. It's something ridiculous. So it's off the charts. But, I mean, he pushes such a high pace, and that's why everybody's coming in here. I mean, Dotson, obviously, he's been around the sport for a long, long time, and he's you know, I guess trending in the wrong direction in a way. I mean, I know he's coming off of a big win and, you know, again, he killed the prospect killer basically, right? Uh, Dotson did. He's one of these guys that's going to pick off prospects um, as he can and as he goes. He's kind of being utilized as a gatekeeper right now for the UFC and, and he was able to kind of shut the gate um, against Wood in his last fight. Now, that being said, you know, another kind of gatekeeper role here against uh, Divashvili, but uh, definitely a tougher one. Um, to close the gate on here for in this spot, but I think Dotson stylistically is a tough matchup because he's got such good takedown defense and he's got the ability to scramble back up to his feet so fast that you cannot hold this guy down. So for me, Devashvili is going to have to kind of slow this fight down. He's going to have to pin Dotson up against the cage. He's going to have to repeatedly get takedown after takedown after takedown because Dotson's not going to stay on the floor. In an open space, even if you give him a little bit, or you know, even in the clinch, Dotson is going to be effective with his striking. So I think he's going to have the speed. He's got the knockout power. Devashvili does get hit often in his fights as well. Um, he's been pretty durable and pretty tough, I, I got to say. But still, stylistically, I think Dotson, with the speed, with the power, um, and with the ability to keep this fight upright, it's a very difficult fight for Divashvili. So to me, as the line progresses and his line kind of keeps on climbing, I'm kind of scratching my head because I understand the hype and I understand why people are such, you know, so big and such like excitement for Divashvili because, I mean, he's definitely one of the best bantamweights in the world right now. But this is a difficult fight. And Dotson can definitely play spoiler here. So for me... I'll pick Divashvili. He should be maybe a very, very slight favorite. Again, it's 2020. Dotson is not in the prime of his career right now. So I will pick Divashvili to win. But as far as the betting window goes, you cannot lay over 200 on this man. You cannot do it. I mean, I know people are doing it. They're going to continue to put him in parlays. I just don't think it's a smart bet at all. It's a dog or pass situation. You have to bet Dotson at the underdog price here or just stay away from it. But you cannot bet the favorite here. So for me... I will pick Divashvili to get the W here, but it's definitely a dog or pass situation at the betting window. And I think there is some value in Dotson at the current price. Plus 216, are you kidding me? I don't know. It's kind of a head-scratcher, like I said, because styles make fights, and stylistically, this is an intriguing and interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, normally, I stay the hell away from John Dodson because he's so unreliable when he faces anybody that pushes even half of a decent pace on the feet because he tends to just sit back and let his opponent dictate the pace and look for those moments to explode and land a knockout. Um, and it, it has forced him to lose a lot of close decisions throughout his career. And it's very frustrating because he is such a tremendous athlete. He has such good power. Um, and he's ca so capable. Um, but, uh, Styles make fights, and I think this is a great stylistic matchup for John Dodson. Um, Tavalishvili is a relatively one-dimensional fighter here. I mean, this guy loves to get takedowns, and he's not great at holding people down, and he's tenacious in pursuing takedowns, while Dodson is going to be the faster fighter, the more explosive fighter, the better striker by a landslide, and Dodson should have, uh, you know, the better chin of the two. Um, and Dodson is definitely the more powerful striker. So um, you factor in all those things. I think this is a really uh, 
good opportunity for Dodson to pull off a huge upset. Um, again, if Dodson, if Devalishvili had any, you know, decent striking, I would be favoring him in a landslide, but he just doesn't. That's not a big part of his game. I mean, he's all about closing the distance, grabbing you, dragging you to the ground. Um, he's not very good at holding you down because, uh, his opponents are able to get back up and then he just goes and takes you down again. But Dotson has pretty good takedown defense and he's so athletic that even if you do take him down, you can't keep him down. So, uh, I see Devalishvili spending a lot of energy pursuing takedowns in this fight. And even if he gets them, I don't think that, uh, you know, they're going to be, he's going to be scoring a lot of points. And when this is on the feet, I think Dodson is going to be landing that big monstrous left hand of his, uh, consistently. Um, and as Devalishvili starts to slow down, I see Dodson taking over. Um, and once he starts stuffing takedowns, I think this turns into almost a cakewalk for Dodson. Um, so I, again, I just do not agree with the public here. Uh, and I'm picking John Dodson straight out. And I think that he could actually win a decision here, which is rare because again, I don't usually favor him to win decisions, but uh, I also think that he could knock Devalishvili out as he starts to slow down, especially in that second or third round, like he did in the, the Nathaniel Wood fight. So uh, my pick is going to be John Dodson. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Herbert Burns, who is 11-2, taking on Daniel Pineda, who is 26-13. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Burns open minus 200, the comeback of Pineda plus 160. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Burns minus 280, the comeback of Pineda at plus 235. So Burns getting some love, not surprised at all. I still say, I said it last time in this podcast, I think Herbert Burns is getting some respect due to his brother's name, Gilbert Burns. Um, not that Herbert doesn't deserve respect, but I guarantee that has a positive influence on his betting line. And on his career in general, for sure. I mean, again, no disrespect to Herbert, but it's just true. Um, that said, his performances so far in the Octagon speak for themselves. I mean, the guy has definitely delivered. Um, he's been in there, in and out of the cage quickly twice, um, utilizing that amazing submission game that he has. I mean, it's just world class. He's so smooth. He's so just effective in his ability to just slice through people on the ground is amazing. So that's what you get with Burns. I think on the feet, he's definitely susceptible to getting blasted. He can get picked apart. Um, defensively, he's not that great. So you can outstrike Burns. He does have a little bit of power you got to be careful about, but it's his ground game. And it, I think he's pretty slick, even, you know, about how he goes. Dunham, not an easy guy to take down. Dunham, not an uh, easy guy to submit. And look what he did. I mean, that was very impressive. So you got to respect Burns' ground game. And in this spot here, Pineda has a great ground game in his own right. There's just different levels. Pineda does not want to mix mix things up on the ground against Burns, unless he gets top position. Now, that being said, Burns can still submit him off his back. He's sneaky enough, slick enough to reverse things, and could cause all sorts of problems for Pineda. But what I'm trying to say is if Pineda wants to do anything on the ground, he should definitely try to maintain top position, if anything. So, But that being said, that's not your path to victory, Pineda. It is staying on, staying on the feet and trying to knock Burns out and trying to utilize your effective striking, because Pineda is definitely by far the better striker. Pineda's awesome, man. I mean, I love watching this guy fight, honestly. I'm glad he's back in the UFC. Um, he's put on quite a performance. Like, I Just watch the guy's last several fights. I mean, he's put on performance after performance. I mean, the guy is deserving to be back on the roster. And he's got, again, 
finishing ability in all aspects of the game. He can finish you on the ground. He can finish you on the feet. So he's a dangerous finisher in his own right. I just think, again, stylistically tough matchup on the ground here. So he wants to keep this upright. So I will pick Burns because I think at some point he probably does get this to the floor and he probably does submit Pineda, but not a confident bet, not a bet I would lay again over minus 200. Um, at the opening price, I think was honestly fair. Maybe it's still a little bit higher, to be honest with you, because, you know, Pineda is definitely a very game fighter. If Burns cannot submit him, he's probably going to lose his fight. So I think it's basically submission or bust for Burns in this spot. Um, so Pineda could very well be a live dog. But again, tough to bet in this spot either way. Because you can't trust Burns as a favorite and laying that kind of chalk. And again, it's difficult to trust Pineda's submission defense in this spot as well to bet him as a dog. But it's definitely a dog or pass situation. So I'll leave that up to you guys. My pick, though, straight out, you kind of have to go with Burns at this point. I mean, again, we're talking about if it's a coin flip type of fight, of course I'm going to lean Burns' way because his ground game is that dominant. But I don't trust him. I think he is a bit overrated. And I think eventually it'll show. But for right now, I pick him to win against Pineda. Yeah, and Pineda's entering the UFC on quite the run. I mean, 6-0 in his last fights, uh, six fights, including uh, two, his most recent, uh, both first-round finishes, but they uh, got overturned to no contest because of a failed drug test in PFL, but he got both of those on one in the same night um, against uh, Kaibu Laev and uh, Kennedy. Um, so, you know, this guy is still super talented. Um he also hasn't fought in the UFC in six years. Um, you know, he's kind of, since he left the UFC, he fought in Legacy, he fought in Bellator, he fought in LFA, uh, most recently in Fury FC and in PFL. So, I mean, he's all over the place, um, but a solid veteran that has fought everywhere and fought some pretty good fighters over the course of his career. Um, so Pineda is no joke. I mean, this guy is talented and um, while the other thing you do have to factor in is, you know, Herbert Burns' most likely path to victory here is getting a submission. And Pineda has not been submitted in a decade. His last time he was submitted was at Bellator 19. Like, that was like the first year of Bellator's existence back in 2010. Uh, Chaz Skelly, uh, the UFC, current UFC fighter, uh, beat him by knee bar in the second round. So it's been a hot minute since uh, Pineda has lost a by submission uh, because on the feet, I think uh, Pineda should have the edge here. You know, Herbert Burns did get a knockout against Nate Landwehr, which was really surprising because Landwehr is definitely the better striker of the two. Um, but that was more of a, you know, out of nowhere knee up the middle that caught Landwehr because he was being over aggressive. Um, this time around, uh, I think Pineda could uh, outstrike Burns on the feet. And if Burns can't get this to the floor and go to work with his ground game, then, you know, this gets interesting in a hurry. Uh, that being said, Burns faced a really good grappler with pretty good defensive wrestling in Evan Dunham in his last fight and was able to get it to the floor and submit Dunham quickly, which was very surprising to me because I thought Dunham would be able to fend that off and he just couldn't do it. Uh, considering how, you know, much of a veteran he is. So, you know, Pineda's in a similar spot here. Uh, another big time veteran with a lot of, uh, overall good skills, but 
Burns is definitely the better ground fighter. So if he can get this to the floor, Burns is probably going to win. I'm not 100% convinced he'll be able to get a submission, but uh, I've been underestimating Burns. Um, I still think that there's going to be a big-time spot where we'll be able to, you know, pick that moment where the hype is too big on Burns and, uh, and you know, he's going to be a huge favorite against somebody and we'll be able to call him uh, getting overblown and, and a big upset. Uh, but I don't think that happens here. Uh, I think Pineda is talented, but I don't think that he's good enough here to avoid uh, the ground game of Burns. So uh, my pick is going to be Burns. I'm not 100% convinced he'll get a submission, but I do think he'll use the ground game enough to at least win a decision. Now, moving all the way up to the heavyweight division, we have Junior Dos Santos, who is 21-7, and seven, taking on Jerzinho Rosenstruik, who is 10-1. and one. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Rosenstrike, minus 140, JDS, Junior Dos Santos, plus 110. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, minus 134, minus 135, excuse me, for Rosenstrike, the comeback on JDS at plus 115. Line did float up and down a little bit. More action coming in on JDS as we get closer to fight time. Um, not much trust in Rosenstrike, especially after he just got destroyed, to say the least, um, by Engano in his last fight. That being said, I think people are underestimating the gentleman quite a bit here in this spot. I love JDS. I think he's been one of the all-time greats in the heavyweight division. I think he could still present a lot of problems for a lot of heavyweights, including maybe Rosenstrike here. If he can utilize some of that footwork he has, he, I think he's going to be the better fighter kind of flowing on the feet a little bit with his movement. I think he's going to be a little bit faster. Um, I think he can utilize a little bit of wrestling if he, if he wants to, he doesn't do it as often as he should at times, but JDS does have some underrated wrestling. So he is probably the better mixed martial artist, but Rosenstrike with this standup presents a lot of problems with JDS, especially in a small cage. So I think Rosenstrike's takedown defense is improving. You can't keep him down. If you do take him down, he usually gets back up to his feet. And once he's up to his, to his feet, obviously, offensively, this guy is a huge threat. I think JDS's chin is definitely feeling the impacts of some of those wars he's been in throughout the years. Um, and it's not going to get any better, obviously. And he's fighting one of the hardest hitters he's faced in, throughout his career. So in Rosa Strike here, I know he's been in there with some heavy hitters in the past, but this is another one that could definitely make life miserable for JDS. So not underestimating JDS here. I understand what kind of talent he is. Again, I can admit he is the better mixed martial artist in this spot. I just think, again, in 2020, Rosenstrike coming off that loss, I understand you got to kind of question that a little bit and be a little bit more cautious. But stylistically, I think this is a great spot for Rosenstrike to come in here, get the knockout win over JDS, and kind of get some of that respect back that he lost and then got no fight. So I think Rosenstrike has the capabilities of knocking JDS out. I think there's some value at the current price right now, at minus 135 his way as well. Uh, but again, it is a heavyweight fight. So be cautious if you are betting this fight, but my pick is Rosenstrike to get it done. Yeah, this one's interesting because both guys are coming off of getting finished um, with Rosenstrike. It was the first time he'd ever been, he'd even lost in his career, whether alone knocked out Um with JDS, you know, that's happened now. Uh, you know, he, his last five losses have all been by t knockout or TKO. So that is a concern. Um, 
and he's really starting to uh, take some damage throughout his career. Now, when he's on, he can still get quality wins. I mean, he in his last five fights, he's 3-2 and two with some quality wins over Blagoy Ivanov and Derek Lewis, but he was finished in his last two fights. Uh, and Ganu got him in a minute 11, and Curtis Blades got him in the first minute, or just after the first minute of round two in his last fight. So, um, you know, he is coming off of two stoppage losses in a row. Uh, Rosenstruck, on the other hand, you know, this guy was, uh, on quite the run, and some people were even picking him to beat Nganu before, uh, Nganu got the 22nd knockout against him. And even in that fight, in 20 seconds, he landed some decent shots on Nganu, but he just, Nganu just like ignored them and kept pushing forward and landed that big bomb that set, put him out. So, how Rosenstruck reacts is more interesting to me than anything because we've seen Dos Santos can bounce back from getting knocked out. You know, he's done it before. Um, is it going to affect how Rosenstruck fights? Um, they are going to be at the apex, which is a bit of a smaller cage. So I think Dos Santos's movement is, uh, in his boxing is going to be taken away a little bit because a smaller cage, a little bit less move uh, ability to maneuver. So uh, against somebody like Rosenstruck, who is a pretty solid kickboxer with a lot of power, I feel like Rosenstruck can take it a little bit better than Dos Santos can at this point, considering Dos Santos is 36 years old and have, has been knocked out five times in his last five losses. Um, I feel like uh, Dos Santos is uh, going to be the uh, – they're about the same size, but uh, I just feel like Rosenstruik has a little bit more to offer at this point. Uh, he's taken a lot less damage over the course of his career, and as long as he doesn't have, you know, the yips from getting knocked out by Nganu, um, I feel like it's only a matter of time where before Rosenstruik lands that big shot and can take Dos Santos out. Now, I am a little concerned because – uh, Rosenstruik did get outstruck by Overeem over the course of five rounds before f- getting a finish late in the fifth round. So if Dos Santos can outstrike Rosenstruik without getting knocked out, uh, that could happen. I could see Dos Santos winning a decision here, but I think at some point Rosenstruik catches him and does get the, the knockout victory. So my pick is going to be Rosenstruik, but Dos Santos could win a decision if he can avoid that big bomb. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division, we have Sean O'Malley, who is 12-0, taking on Marlon Vera, who is 17-6-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? O'Malley opened minus 230, the comeback on Vera plus 180. Right now, over a Circa, we are seeing minus 310 for O'Malley, the comeback on Vera plus 260. I think the opening line was a lot more fair. I get it. I mean, I've been on O'Malley's wagon here for a little while as well. Guys made me some money. I appreciate that, O'Malley. But that being said, he is in for another very difficult test here in Vera. I think Vera's improvement is off the charts, really. If you look at him from his UFC stint on the Ultimate Fighter to where he is today, man, has a guy improved quite a bit. So I respect Vera a ton. He's gotten better with his wrestling, his conditioning has improved quite a bit his striking's always been decent but it's gotten to another level and then his jiu-jitsu game is on point as well so i think vera is an extremely talented and difficult matchup for o'malley in this spot that said digging into this fight i wanted to bet vera i thought you know what everybody's going to underestimate 
Um, Vera in the spot, O'Malley, obviously with the hype and, you know, he's on the rise, whatnot. But after doing the research, I mean, O'Malley probably is the right side in this spot. Um, that being said, would you lay 250, 300? No, absolutely not. So I think he is going to win. I think O'Malley will edge out the striking exchanges on the feed here. I think O'Malley is a pretty well-rounded and dangerous fighter in his own right, for sure. But I think it will be competitive and it will be close. I think O'Malley can get put on his back. I mean, we've seen that in the past as well, even though he has a pretty decent submission game and he's not easy to deal with at times on the ground. I think Vera is capable of, with the improving wrestling, possibly getting him to his back and controlling a little bit there. On the feet, I think it'll be close. Vera does have some pretty solid technique and is capable of doing some damage. But I think O'Malley, obviously, is the one that's going to probably utilize and have more of an advantage on the feet and end up scoring more along the way, possibly hurting Vera, of course. Uh, but it'll be close. And again, that's why I think it's a difficult test. I think this is the first uh, – not to disrespect some of O'Malley's recent opponents like Weinland or, or and such, but this is the first live body, if that makes sense, the first real step up as far as somebody that's also improving, somebody that's also kind of getting in the mix in the Bantamweight division towards a title shot that he's going to be facing here in O'Malley. So O'Malley-Vera, awesome matchup. I'm glad the UFC's not hesitating from testing O'Malley here. I think O'Malley probably does pass the test. But again, I wouldn't be willing to lay minus 250, minus 300 to find out. I don't think that's a very smart bet. I know a lot of people are throwing O'Malley in parlays, and a lot of people are very confident he beats Vera. Yeah, like I said, I, I think he does beat him too, but I'm not as confident. I think Vera will be game, and it should be an awesome fight. So love the matchmaking here. I am going to pick O'Malley to win. I just cannot bet this fight. Yeah, my main concern here is the ground game. Now, O'Malley isn't that bad on the ground, honestly. He's pretty active uh, on the canvas, but on the feet, that's where he's absolutely a sniper. I mean, he is one of the most powerful strikers in the Bantamweight division. Um, just ferocious knockouts against some tough guys like uh, Quinones and most recently Eddie Wineland just obliterated Wineland, um, the former champ. Um, so if this fight uh, on the feet, uh, I, I think that it's only a matter of time before uh, O'Malley doesn't just win, uh, but knocks Marlon Vera out. And Vera is really talented. I mean, Vera is well-rounded. He's a solid fighter on the feet, uh, pretty uh, diverse in his striking attack. I think Vera does have the better kicking game, but O'Malley, I think, is just going to crowd him and pressure him and kind of take away the, the kicks. And his boxing is so good and he's so powerful with his hands. Um, I just see O'Malley winning the striking exchanges pretty handily. Now on the ground, Vera is very dangerous. I mean, O'Malley does have a solid ground game. Um, you know, he won, he, he does grappling bouts when he was, uh, suspended and, uh, he, uh, you know, took on Takanori Gomi and Hector Lombard and all kinds of fun things. Um, but, uh, and he does have, uh, you know, a couple submissions to his name, but for the most part, this guy wants to knock people out. Um, so as long as he can avoid the ground game against Vera, and I do think he should be able to, then he's going to win this fight. But if Vera can mix in some takedowns, which he did do against Song Yadong as Yadong started to slow down in his last fight, uh, basically Yadong won the first round and a half of that fight and Vera won the last half uh, of that fight and they decided with uh, Yadong. But I mean, that was a close fight and it could have gone Vera's way. So 
uh, you know, Vera could be, you know, on a six fight win streak if you, uh, if, if the judges had uh, been a little more lenient towards him. So, uh, I think this is a very competitive fight. This is a great test for Sean O'Malley, but I think he does pass it as long as Vera does not mix in takedowns and potentially submit him or hold top position long enough to win a decision. I think O'Malley knocks him out. So my pick is going to be O'Malley. Now, this takes us to the main event of the evening. In the heavyweight division, we have a trilogy here. Uh, Stipe Miocic, the champion, who is 19-3, taking on Daniel Cormier, who is 22-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Miocic minus 110, Cormier minus 110. That was the opening line, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Cormier minus 117, Miocic minus 103. Line did flip to a pick, did flip back, did flip Stipe's way, did flip back. So this fight is a true pick type of fight. We're going to see a ton of two-way action coming in on this fight. We're going to see a ton of sharp opinions on both sides of this fight as well. Just an awesome heavyweight. One of the best heavyweight fights in the history of the sports right here. And two of the best heavyweights in the world on the planet in the history are going at it right here. I think... Win or lose, I know the narrative here is the winner of this fight is the greatest heavyweight of all time. I don't think that's true at all. I think Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time based on what he's done. I mean, he's had the title defenses. He's pulled off even if Cormier beats him this time and Cormier is 2-1 and one against him. He still has a win over Cormier. He's still been the more natural heavyweight, meaning that Cormier did dip down, fought light heavyweight for part of his career, of course, and then came back up. So I think the true greatest heavyweight of all time is Stipe Miocic, in my opinion, win or lose this fight. So let me clarify that. Now, getting into the fight, though. I mean, it's rare when I pick against Stipe. I, I think it's, I mean, I haven't done it. The only time I've done it, I believe, is in, against Daniel Cormier, and I'm probably going to do it again here. I mean, what we've seen so far, look, again, and, and the thing is with Stipe, he's such a smart fighter. He's got a great camp and a great team behind him. I mean, there's nothing bad to say about everything that he's kind of done in his career and, and the like the path that he's been on and the improvements that he's made, he's made all the right decisions and he's got that desire and he's got that motivation and he's got everything going for him. I mean, he does everything right. So there's not, not much bad you could say, including in the last fight adapting as Cormier was getting slow, slowing down a bit, I should say adapting his game plan, starting to go to the body and it won him the fight. So again, very smart fight IQ, just a freak athlete. I mean, like I said, there's nothing really bad you can say about Stipe Miocic. He's a great fighter, the best all-time heavyweight, in my opinion. And I'm going to probably pick against him. I just think Cormier is the type of fighter for him that is just stylistically a tough matchup. We've seen him. Cormier ended up knocking him out in the first fight. In the second fight, he was winning the majority of that fight up until he wasn't, basically. So I just think stylistically it's a tough matchup for Stipe because even though Cormier is a smaller fighter, um, and Stipe does have some physical advantages over Cormier, Cormier proven to be the better striker in these matchups. Um, and again, I know Stipe adapted and he looked great later on in the fight, but I think a lot to do with that was Cormier slowing down and kind of letting Stipe get back into the fight and, you know, and, and adapt as easy as he did to sort of say, again, not taking anything away from Stipe, but I still think it's up to Daniel Cormier if he's going to win or lose this fight. Now, the retirement issue, he's going to retire. I think it is kind of an issue in my head because I don't, ever like to hear a fighter talk about retirement and then, you know, fighting his last fight. That's always kind of a head scratcher for sure as well, but it is important for Cormier to win this fight. And I should also note that in their last fight, 
I'm hearing that Cormier did have a little bit of a back situation going on where he couldn't get his wrestling in. He couldn't get his conditioning, his road work in, and that led to his cardio not being up to par. And this time around, I think that's kind of been addressed. I think he's had a better camp. He's been able to get that wrestling in. He's been able to get that road work in as well. So his conditioning should be a little bit better. But from what we've seen, you can't trust it all the way either because, again, Cormier does tend to slow down as the fight progresses. So I think the dangerous part about picking or betting Cormier in this spot is if this fight does progress and gets into deep waters, gets in round four or round five, we could see a repeat performance of the last fight. So that's my concern here. But outside of that, I think it's a better possibility that Cormier knocks Stipe out again, or it's a better possibility that Cormier actually outpoints Stipe and and wins this fight three to two on the scorecard. Should be a very close fight. I mean, like I said, it's, it's hard to be confident either way because both of these guys are so damn good. So, I mean, hard to pick against Stipe Miocic, but for me personally, I just got to go with my head. And I think, Stylistically, it's just a tough matchup, so I will pick Cormier to regain the title and kind of ride off, if it's true, and he is going to retire after this, kind of ride off as a champion and retire as he wants as the heavyweight champion of the world. So my pick, Cormier, to defeat Stipe in a very tough and difficult pick. And I'm going to go the other way. Um, Now, I understand. I mean, this fight is really close. Cormier won the first one. Cormier was winning the first three rounds of the second fight before uh, Miosic made that nice adjustment with the body shots uh, and then was able to get the the finish as Cormier was slowing down. But, uh, you know, you got to remember, Daniel Cormier is 41 years old now. You know, he he got tired in the last fight. Uh, conditioning was definitely an issue. And uh, now he's a uh, – this is a full year since the last fight, and he's a year older, and he's talking about retirement and all that stuff. So yes, Cormier can absolutely win this fight. I mean, he's got the skills, he's got the the striking, he's got the power. Uh, Stipe's chin is vulnerable enough that he could get knocked out again. Um, but Stipe did eat all of Cormier's best shots in, in the last fight. Uh, it's really that that shot that he doesn't see coming that can get him. Um, and uh, I I feel like, I mean, my main issue here is uh, Cormier. Will he be able to outlast, uh, will he be able to get that finish before, uh, Steve Eight starts to turn it up a little bit? Um, and I'm just not quite convinced. Um, it's, it's definitely a possibility. That's why this, the line is so close in this fight because it could go either way. Um, but, uh, you, I, I gotta favor the, the champ here. Uh, you know, I, I've picked Stipe in all three fights, I think. Um, and I'm gonna stick with my guns here. Uh, you know, he is the bigger guy, the longer guy. Uh, he does, I think the jab is going to be really effective here. Cormier is, you know, an explosive athlete and he is going to be able to get in and land that big shot at times. And that does concern me. But, uh, as long as Cormier, as this stays standing, um, I do, I do think Cormier might be able to get some wrestling going, but, uh, I think Stipe obviously does have some, some really good wrestling in his own right. And he's a, big enough and strong enough that he should be able to fend off Cormier uh, in that department. So if this stays standing, it's going to come down to uh, Cormier's quickness and athleticism against Stipe's size and strength. And I think uh, it's going to be really competitive. It's going to be a lot of fun. But if Cormier can't take Stipe out, I think Stipe outlasts him again. Um, I, I can see another late finish for Stipe. Um, I think uh, the, the, the shots do add up. 
I think uh, Stipe, you know, found a blueprint for success there by mixing it up to the body more in that fourth round. And while I don't expect him to just do the exact same thing here, I think if Stipe, as long as he doesn't just focus on headshots, if he starts mixing up that boxing again, uh, there's going to be uh, – the head is going to open up. Um, so I'm going to go with the champ here. I think Stipe pulls it out. I think he does get uh, another knockout at some point, and I think it does get set up with some body work. I mean, that that left hook that he had to the body was ferocious in that fourth round, and uh, I think that that could take it, – it, and if he starts doing that earlier this time around – uh, I think that that could pull the wind out of Cormier's sails a little bit earlier than the fourth round last time. So my pick's going to be Stipe, but again, I mean, this is anybody's game because, you know, Cormier is super dangerous and uh, he could knock out Stipe at any moment as well. So, but Stipe will be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 252. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBpremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsBreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. <laughs>